Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, Johnny DC at the top of the episode to say Happy New Year's, or should I say Happy New Tears? Because we have a big announcement. We have new tiers on Patreon for listeners to join, which were structured around the pricing we have on our new Dynamic Duel store, which I guess makes this two big announcements. That's right, Marvelous Joe here, letting you know that on Patreon, you can join our Dynamic Duo tier, which is $2 a month and grants you access to our Discord chat server, where you can chat it up with fellow listeners of the show, and you can listen to the ad-free version of this podcast, and you get access to obtain our Infinity Crisis DC versus Marvel deck building card game that we created ourselves. Or you can join our fantastic $4 tier, which is $4 a month. It gets you everything in the previous tier and starting in February gets you exclusive bonus episode content that we put out twice a month, including our blooper reels and top 10 ranking episodes. You also get access to the visual data from our dual episodes at no additional cost and the back catalog of bonus content that we've created over the years, including special dual request results and bracket brawl tournaments. We also have the X-Force tier, which is a $10 a month tier and makes you an executive producer of this show, meaning you'll get everything in the lower tiers and you'll be credited on the show on our site and you get to join us on monthly video chats where we determine what episodes we do in the next month and you get access to our content calendar and special privileges on Discord and an official certificate that you can print out and flaunt in the face of your enemies. Visit patreon.com slash dynamic duel to pick any one of these tiers. And finally, we want to announce the grand opening of our Dynamic Duel store, which you can visit by going to dynamicduel.com. We have some cool t-shirt designs for you there where you can declare your Marvel or DC allegiance. You can buy stickers of the episode covers for this podcast and even the graphed out duel results from our duel episodes. It takes a special sort of person to support the things they enjoy. So if that's you, visit our store at dynamicduel.com or sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash dynamicduel. Thanks to those who do, and on with the show. Hi, and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And in this episode, we are going to review the DC animated film, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, which was not a horrible film. It was not a great film, but it was, in fact, a film. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, this was chosen by our executive producers as a tie-in review to next week's dual episode where we pit Terra versus Avalanche. And that, of course, is in lead up to episode 325, which will be a team duel between the Flash's Rogues and the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, look forward to our review later on this episode, but before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news to come out in the past two weeks, of which there was virtually nothing except for this random news that uh, Donald Glover is going to produce and apparently star in a hypno-hustler film for Sony's Spider-Man universe. So that's weird. But as always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. Real quick, we want to give a shout out to the TV and movie trivia podcast on which I was a guest on that show around the Christmas time season. I totally spaced on giving them a shout out in our previous episode. But yeah, the episode I was on came out a couple days after Christmas and I did my best to answer trivia questions from the movie Elf. So if you're interested in that, if you're interested in trivia in general, definitely check out the TV and movie trivia podcast because the host Brian Sheehan is the nicest, most professional guy in all of podcasting. But with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. A no prize is an award that Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Dual No Prize, is a digital award that we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. The question from two weeks ago was, who would you cast as the new Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman for the upcoming DCU? We got a lot of great answers. Uh, There wasn't a whole lot of time to answer, so a lot of you sped read through your cast, which was nice. We picked three honorable mentions and a no prize winner, so let's go ahead and break them down. Our first honorable mention goes to Daniel, who said, Okay, as Superman, I got Matt Bomer. Batman is Robert Pattinson. Flash is Andrew Garfield. Wonder Woman is played by Olivia Munn. And Aquaman by Chris Hemsworth. And now Daniel also listed his pick for Green Lantern in a subsequent recording, uh, but it didn't quite come through. Nevertheless, this is a pretty awesome cast. Yeah, this was the only answer that gave Robert Pattinson as Batman. So this was his choice for the Justice League in the Robert Pattinson universe, which I'm still kind of hoping James Gunn builds upon. I love Matt Bomer. Every time I see him in the Doom Patrol, I just always think that he would be a perfect Superman. I love Andrew Garfield as the Flash as well. I think he would be perfect in that role. Olivia Munn was done pretty dirty as Psylocke in the X-Men Apocalypse film, so why not give her justice as Wonder Woman? And, I mean, Chris Hemsworth is pretty much finished after Thor Love and Thunder, I imagine, so why not bring him over as Aquaman? I don't know about that. I think he'd be open to coming back to the Thor franchise if it went in a new direction, because I kind of think he recognizes how ridiculous the last film was. So great answer, Daniel. Our next honorable mention goes to Matt Kuchar from the Inspired Incompetence podcast, who said, Hey boys, Matt Kuchar here from the Inspired Incompetence podcast, answering your question about the new Justice League cast. Starting off, I want to go for Batman with Sterling K. Brown. Superman, go with Taron Egerton. For The Flash, let's go with some Jessica Henwick. Wonder Woman, go with Amber Mid-Thunder. Green Lantern, I want to see Winston Duke as Jon Stewart. And for Aquaman, let's go with Rami Malek. Good luck, boys. Yeah, I think Matt is casting actually a recent version of the Justice League in the comics, which features Luke Fox as Batman, Yara Flora as Wonder Woman, that team. Oh, he's skipping ahead a bit, not going with the classics. Possibly. Either that or he's just doing some major race bending and gender bending. But I liked this answer because it was so different from anything else that was submitted. I think it goes to show that as long as the actor is up to par for the role and the characterization that they're going for, there are so many different options available to James Gunn in building his new DCU. 
So great answer, Matt. Our next honorable mention goes to Max, our buddy from the Ready to Retro podcast, who said, This is Max from Ready to Retro. The theme is young. Got Batman, played by Austin Butler. Superman, Timothy Chalamet. Wonder Woman, played by Leslie Grace. Give her chances time. Flash, specifically Wally West, played by Jaden Smith. Green Lantern, John Stewart, John Boyega, and Aquaman, played by Henry Golding. That is quite the list of up-and-coming talent, I gotta say. I heard that Timothy Chalamet will never play a superhero based on advice from Leonardo DiCaprio, but I think that he's he's a little scrawny, but he can make an interesting version of Superman if he bulked up. A lot of people love him right now. Yeah, Austin Butler as well. He would need to bulk up, but I could totally see him as Bruce Wayne, like a really good, solid Bruce Wayne as well. Leslie Grace, of course, was Batgirl in the canned Batgirl film, and it would be nice to see her get some kind of redemption there. Yeah, and since they kind of screwed the pooch with John Boyega's character in the Star Wars franchise, it'd be nice to see him get his due as Jon Stewart, Green Lantern. And I especially really like the casting of Henry Golding as Aquaman. I think it'd be nice to keep Aquaman in the new DCU as a Pacific Islander or Southeast Asian. And Henry Golding, despite the fact that Snake Eyes wasn't a great movie, I think is still a great actor. We want to give a quick shout out to Richard McGrew, Scotty Macho, Brandon Estergaard, and Miggy Mathingian for taking the time to visit our website and submit their answers. Honestly, it was really hard narrowing down the honorable mentions for this week's No Prize. All of you guys gave fantastic casting choices. Particularly our winner of this week's No Prize, Jacob Bell, who said... Hey, what's up, guys? It is uh, Jacob Bell here. So I put this cast in the Discord, but I'll go ahead and say it on here. I'm pretty proud of this cast. I think it would be really good. So uh, here we go. So for Superman, I got David Cornsweet. For Batman, I got Ansel Elgort, if he bulks up a little bit. Wonder Woman, Naomi Scott. Uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, John David Washington. And then Lucas Till for Barry Allen and Dakri Montgomery for Aquaman. So there's my Justice League. Yeah, so Jacob Bell is one of our patrons and the host of the Rankers podcast. He's fantastic at making casting decisions. He famously chose Robert Pattinson as his casting choice for Batman long before Robert Pattinson was cast in the role. And I gotta say, his casting choices for the Justice League gets me super hyped for the potential casting that we could have there. I had never heard of David Cornsweet until Jacob Bell brought him up, but I think he definitely has the look. Yeah, he's never been in anything I've seen, including Pearl, House of Cards. But once I Googled him, I was like, oh, it's, it's got to be this guy. Also, I think Ansel Elgort would make a great Bruce Wayne. He picked a couple of actors from the latest Power Rangers movie reboot, including Naomi Scott and Dacre Montgomery for Wonder Woman and Aquaman, respectively. And I'm a big fan of John David Washington. I think he would make a fantastic John Stewart. Same goes for Lucas Till as Barry Allen. He listed all of this out in our Discord before he submitted an answer. He also chose Olivia Rodrigo as Zatanna to round out his team of seven, which I thought was a great choice. Yeah, his was really the answer to beat for this week's No Prize. I thought it was truly inspired casting when I first saw it in the Discord, and nothing really surpassed it in my mind, although a lot of people came really close. There's a really exciting future ahead of us, I think, in terms of casting announcements for the upcoming DCU. Can't wait to hear what the real answers are from James Gunn. Hopefully soon. But congrats again to Jacob Bell for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news! Alright, I don't like talking about Sony's Spider-Man universe, mainly because it's a shit show. 
if you've watched Morbius and like especially those after credit scenes, it's just fucking embarrassing on behalf of Sony. Like I feel bad for them on how bad they're trying to make money off of their limited stable of characters within the Spider-Man universe. You know, they're digging to not even the bottom of the barrel. They're digging beneath the barrel to try to find characters to produce films off of that likely will not make much, if any, money. But the latest news regarding Sony's Spider-Man universe is that Donald Glover is attached to star and produce a movie based on the Spider-Man villain called Hypno Hustler, which is a character I've honestly never even heard of. He's only been in a few comic book issues, but he's basically a villain who's the lead singer of this group called the Mercy Killers and uses his sound equipment to to hypnotize and then rob his audience. That's his backstory in the comics. I don't know what the film is going to be about or how it's going to tie into Spider-Man, if at all. But I think what's particularly interesting about this news is that technically Donald Glover has already appeared in a Spider-Man movie, which is in the MCU. It's not technically part of Sony Spider-Man universe, which includes Morbius and Venom and the upcoming Kraven and Madam Web films. In Spider-Man Homecoming, Donald Glover was Aaron Davis, who is a character known as the Prowler and is the uncle of Miles Morales, who is another version of Spider-Man. Yeah, Miles wasn't mentioned by name in that movie, right? But he did mention that he had a nephew. Right, correct. I was really interested in seeing if they would develop upon Donald Glover's Aaron Davis character as the Prowler, but that never really came to fruition, and we don't know what the future of his role will be within those Spider-Man films. It looks like he doesn't have one, and instead, they're going to make this movie the Hypno-Hustler. It is being written by Donald Glover and Michael Murphy, who is the son of comedian Eddie Murphy. So it looks like it's going to be a comedy film, and I'm guessing it'll have very little tie into Spider-Man. It'll just be about a thief. I want to know who's coming up with these ideas at Sony, because I would be really surprised if Donald Glover came up with this idea. I know he's a Spider-Man fan and has voiced the character of Miles Morales before, but this character is just so incredibly obscure that like who at Sony is going through the Marvel archives like, oh, we need to make a movie about this guy. They're desperate. They're desperate for content. And I think someone at Sony is making promises that they won't be able to fulfill. I mean, look at this Bad Bunny project that they have going on with another obscure villain character called El Muerto. We haven't talked about that story yet because it's pretty much bullshit. It sounds so stupid. El Muerto has been in like literally one comic in (laughs) Spider-Man's history, and they're making a whole ass movie about him. He's basically a Bane ripoff who gets his power from the luchador mask that he wears that was passed down through his ancestors. I guess Bad Bunny is a comic book fan and a wrestling fan and even has some wrestling experience. And, you know, his music is actually really good. I can see why he's so popular. But we don't need this film. Nobody asked for this film. Nobody asked for Hypno Hustler. Nobody asked for El Muerto. Nobody asked for Sony to exist in general. Um, (laughs) They need to give the rights back to the MCU. It's just fucking ridiculous at this point. It makes me facepalm. Have you seen Bullet Train? No, I haven't yet. I saw that over like the holiday break. Bad Bunny is in that movie for like five minutes. And I watched it looking forward to seeing his acting skill. And it is really bad. It is so bad. You think he would have made the most (laughs) of the five minutes that he's in this film. And it was just embarrassing. It made me look forward to the El Muerto movie even less than I am. And I didn't think that was possible. Yeah, you have negative excitement at this point. Exactly. I mean, I am a Donald Glover fan, though. I will say that I enjoy everything I've ever seen him in, and he is hilarious and a talented musician as well. I think that project has a little bit more promise, but again, no one asked for any of this, and 
I'll be surprised if any of this actually goes through once the Craven the Hunter movie and Madam Web flops, which is very likely going to happen. What if it doesn't, though? Like, what if the Hypno Hustler movie actually does come out? Then I'll watch it and, you know, we'll review it. But I'll be surprised if it does. I'll be surprised. I got to say, Sony is the one studio that handles its characters worse than Warner Brothers. Used to. I think you mean used to. (laughs) But speaking of, you know, shitty, obscure villains getting their own films, that brings us to our question of the week. Pick an obscure D-list supervillain from Marvel or DC. Tell us what their solo movie would be about and who would play them. Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to Instagram and our newsletter. Be sure to answer before January 7th. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But with the news over, let's go ahead and move into our main event of this episode, where we review the DC animated movie universe film, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract. Titans The Judas Contract was a 2017 direct-to-video animated film directed by Sam Liu. It was the ninth film set in the DC animated movie universe and a direct sequel to 2016's Justice League vs. Teen Titans movie. The film's narrative is adapted from what many consider to be the Teen Titan comic book's most popular story arc, also named The Judas Contract, which was published in 1984. Many comic book fans by now are familiar with the major betrayal central to the story, but if you aren't familiar and you haven't seen this film, here's your spoiler warning. Stop listening now and watch the film, which is currently available on HBO Max, if you don't want to ruin the story's shocking reveal for yourself. Now, the Judas Contract storyline from the comics is popular not only because of its shocking betrayal, but also because it included the first appearance of Nightwing and the origin of Deathstroke. It was a story that had a year-long lead-up, so readers were heavily invested in it, and with its emotional conclusion, it had cemented itself as one of the greatest storylines in comics. It's easy to understand why DC wanted to adapt this story to film, and it's also easy to understand how an 80-minute adaptation could fail to live up to the legacy of the source material. That's not to say I hate or dislike this adaptation, because I actually admire some of it, but it's a perfect example of how different the short-form medium of film is compared to the long-form serial nature of comics. 
Yeah, I've never read the Judas Contract comics because I don't care about DC Comics, but uh, (laughs) I've heard good things. And my main impression that I got of this film was that what worked well here worked because it was brought from the comics and what didn't didn't work because it was original writing. It definitely speaks to the nature of the adaptation and how hard that transition can be from medium to medium. Things that are written really well in one instance carried over can still be written pretty badly. Now, I actually disagree with you. I would say that most of the stuff they tried to capture from the comics ultimately did not live up to its comics counterpart and actually liked a lot of the original elements they brought into this movie. I'll go over some of those differences as I do this review and we'll see if you agree with that. Okay, yeah, I mean, like I said, I never read the source material. But overall, basically, my opinion is that the story is good, but the writing is bad, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that's a great way to put it. You know, I haven't seen all of the DCAMU films, but I imagine for those that have, this film would have been much more impactful if they introduced Tara as a character in the film's prequels, and they could have just built upon that in the writing of this movie. A few episodes ago, one of our patrons, Miggy, responded to a question of the week by describing the Teen Titans as a support group. And I think the Judas Contract is a great example of that. No, no, no. They're a breakfast club, not a support group. Like, (laughs) again, Breakfast Club deals specifically with the varying teenage angsts that they all bring to the table. I think the issues that they bond over have largely to do with their adolescent trauma. Which is kind of like a support group, but I think it fits squarely, specifically within the realm of teenage issues. Well, I mean, the Teen Titans are there to support one another. And I think support is one of the central themes of this film. You know, as Tara struggles to cope with her past and guilt, she lashes out at her team and learns later from Beast Boy that each of the Titans are dealing with some kind of pain and that he believes that's what makes a hero pain and pressure that either crushes someone or turns them into something greater, like a diamond. Which was a great analogy. Actually, I thought that was one of the better points of the film. Yeah, absolutely. Like Beast Boy, he's struggling with being separate from his parents and having to walk through society with green skin. Raven has a demon for a father. Blue Beetle, his scarab keeps attacking those he loves. He can't control it. Starfire is an alien outrunning her sister. You know, Dick Grayson's parents were killed and Robin, you know, was raised by a league of assassins. Everyone on this team has their own shit to deal with, and the Titans exist to help each other cope, particularly with the struggle of growing up. And it's a mission that Beast Boy continues to believe in even after Terra's betrayal. I've mentioned in earlier episodes that one of the key differences between Marvel and DC superheroes is that, generally speaking, Marvel heroes are relatable while DC heroes are aspirational. The Titans are the exception, and I think it's why, like, even during the 80s when DC was putting out stories like The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, the Teen Titans was still their best-selling book, competing with the likes of the X-Men comics. The Teen Titans are arguably DC's most relatable characters because you had an entire generation of comic readers that grew up alongside them. And it's really one of the main arguments for why sidekick and legacy characters are so important, in my opinion. You know, it's a fact that Marvel has only somewhat recently learned. Well, do you think it's ironic that one of DC's most popular titles ever has been one of their most Marvel-esque? Shut up. (laughs) It was the 80s. Like, everyone was on cocaine, you know? (laughs) 
one particular draw of the Teen Titans comic books were the coming of age nature, particularly when it came to sexual awakening. One could argue that Starfire as a character exists specifically so that Dick Grayson could grow from a boy into a man. And I think this film tried to depict that, but I don't think they did that successfully. And maybe I say that just because I'm a father now of a preteen. So I'm like, cover your ears, Grace. But I imagine the (laughs) dirty talk present in this film made most viewers uncomfortable because it largely came across as unnecessary to the story, even one that largely revolves around romantic relationships. Oh, yeah. The romance angles of this movie came across as very sophomoric and written by someone who had actually never been in a relationship or was highly naive to how relationships work. And this was actually one of the more off-putting things I think about the movie was that while things didn't seem over-sexualized, they did seem kind of creepy. The relationships really largely, for the most part, don't work in this film, which is unfortunate because Beast Boy's heartache at Terra's betrayal and death is a critical component of the Judas Contract storyline. But other romantic relationships in this film, whether between Nightwing and Starfire, Blue Beetle and Tracy 13, and even the controversial one between Deathstroke and Terra, weren't needed. Oh man, that was weird. They should have left that whole grooming aspect just out the fuck of this movie. Because yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Like the implied pedophilia and grooming is just as inappropriate today as it was back in the 80s. And you'd think that the filmmakers here would have been encouraged to fix that mistake. But they weirdly decided not to. I mentioned earlier the drawbacks of film when adapting comic book stories, but fixing controversial storylines is not one of them. Like, that's a benefit that film has. Right. Yeah. The moment that Tara walked out in her negligee trying to come on to this guy with old wrinkly balls (laughs) was a little bit uncomfortable. They went a little bit too far with that. And it's like, why? Why? Like, I hated that that was an element in the comics. I can't fathom why they included it in the movie. Basically, for those who don't have context, haven't seen the film or haven't read the stories, Tara was a double agent within the Teen Titans. She was groomed by Deathstroke to infiltrate the team. She was in love with Deathstroke, who kind of manipulated her into becoming his pawn. It's as creepy as it sounds. Yeah, and it was like through sexual manipulation. They were lovers, and she was underage. They hadn't yet been lovers. She was just infatuated with him. In the comics, they were. What? Yes. Sort of. It's implied. It's heavily implied. She refers to them as lovers. I hate everything about that. Yeah, no, it's gross. Well, how old is Tara? She's got to be like 17, maybe 18, which, you know, is above the age of consent in many countries, which is 16. But I mean, that's still really young. This is all really uncomfortable to talk about. And it was uncomfortable to watch, too. Yeah, uh, I mean, animation didn't help. When it's a cartoon and you're talking about these things, it just makes it a little bit more weird. And I got to say, I didn't love the animation of this film. Like, I know a lot of people like the style of the DC AMU, but the more I see the Tomorrowverse films, and this is something we've been debating recently in our Discord server, the more I really don't like watching the old DC AMU films because the style to me is just inferior to the Tomorrowverse with its like clean lines, vector animation, and just really great character design. I will say that there's been some amazing animation with the DCAMU and that this movie didn't really have it. Particularly the action, like when you had Nightwing and Robin teaming up against Deathstroke, it moved like it was kind of in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the lines were just kind of like sketchy and just not as good, I felt. I just wasn't a big fan of it overall. 
the character designs were just so new 52 as well. Like I really don't care for Nightwing's red costume. It reminds me a lot of the Batman and Robin movie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like in a really bad way. But even characters like Raven and stuff like that, I think have much better designs elsewhere. But speaking of the characters and their designs, let's move on to our character breakdown. Now, Nightwing slash Dick Grayson was voiced by Sean Marr, who reprised his role from earlier films in the DC AMU. He does a pretty good job in the role, in my opinion, even though he does sound a little bit older than he probably should. But I think that's the case for a lot of the cast members. Now, the Judas Contract storyline from the comics is a seminal one for Dick Grayson in particular in that it was the first time he had appeared in the comics as Nightwing after abandoning the Robin mantle and getting randomly attacked in his apartment by Deathstroke. We're kind of robbed of that in this film, with Dick's arc instead focusing on his relationship with Starfire, which we see first form in an otherwise useless flashback to the Teen Titans' early years at the beginning of the film. For being front and center of the cover of the film, Nightwing has one of the least interesting arcs in the movie, unless you're really into him and Starfire's sex life. And to be fair, Dick Grayson did go through a sexual awakening, as I mentioned, in the pages of the Teen Titans in the 80s when the Judas Contract storyline came out. And it was one of the draws of the comic, I get that. But to have it crammed into this film was kind of awkward again. Yeah, I think they should have focused less on that and focused on dealing with the lack of his leadership role. Well, the hard thing about film universes is that we have seen Nightwing in a leadership role in prequels. It's just that if you haven't seen those, it's really going to hurt your viewership of this film. That's true. I have to say it was pretty cool watching this movie for the first time as I'm watching the live action Titans series that's on HBO Max because it has a lot of the same characters like as Brother Blood. I really like the live action Titans series in part because they do nail some things really well, like when Dick Grayson first emerged as Nightwing to go battle Deathstroke. As cool as Nightwing and as popular as Nightwing is, I don't think he was the main draw of this film. To me, that has to go to the character of Tara, who is voiced by Christina Ricci in the film's best voice performance by far. Yeah, Tara was the main character, the one with the best arc, and yeah, the best voice performance. The disdain and anger and uneasiness is palpable in her voice, which was critical to the story as Tara really needed to be a standout character. The filmmakers made Tara much more sympathetic and less psychotic in this film than she was in the comics. And I think that was to make up for the year readers had gotten to know Tara in the comics prior to the reveal that she was the titular Judas that betrayed the team. Now, Tara gets an alternate origin in the movie as a metahuman despised as a witch and nearly killed by a mob in her native country of Markovia before Deathstroke saves her and grooms her into doing his bidding. She seemingly has no strong desire in this film to help bring down the Titans and instead just wants to be with Deathstroke, which, as we mentioned earlier, super cringe. At least in the comics, she was a committed assassin like Deathstroke, which is how they met. But here, she has so much obvious disdain being a Titan that it really should have been no surprise to them when she ended up being a betrayer. All that said, I think the film did as well as it could have with Tara's storyline, given the 80-minute runtime, but it just highlights, again, the drawbacks of the film genre. Yeah, I mean, I knew that she was going to be the ultimate traitor to the team going into this movie, but for much of it, I was like, damn, what's this chick's problem? Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised that the team gave her as much leeway as they did. Now, I, I know that they all try to be supportive of one another, given each of their tumultuous pasts, 
But she had a major attitude problem that I think would be a detriment to the overall team dynamic. And not in like a badass like Wolverine type of way, but like in an actual way that would affect the team's success. I, I agree. I totally. And I'm surprised that like Damien was the only one who thought that. One major element of the comic storyline that's really missing here is that the Titans adored Terra. And after she died trying to kill everyone, the team didn't have the heart to tell the superhero community, and particularly her brother Geoforce, that she betrayed them. So she actually died a hero that supposedly died in their battle against Hive. It was like a really gut-wrenching choice that the Titans had to make because they still cared about her even though she betrayed them and almost got them killed. Well, in the movie, her betrayal was not public knowledge, given that uh, we had Kevin Smith, which is interesting, in this movie, ask about her after the events had happened. Yeah, and, and Beast Boy wasn't ready to talk about her. So you're right, it's, it's ambiguous as to whether the general public knew that she was a Judas. Regarding the character's powers, uh, she is a geokinetic, I think they call it. Yes. Meaning she can control the Earth. I thought it was a pretty well-realized power within this film, and she seemed highly formidable, like on the level of like Magneto or something. Yeah, yeah. Terra was super powerful. Maybe not the most powerful Teen Titan, but definitely up there for sure. She's still going to get stomped next week when we pit her against Avalanche, but uh, it's going to be a close match. How, how can you say that after watching this? You know that's not true. Stop lying Do you to know yourself. what Avalanche can do? He shakes things. You might be surprised. All right. <laughs> Moving on to Beast Boy. Uh, he was voiced by Brandon Suhu. Beast Boy has always been a jokester character in the comics, occasionally, annoyingly, and inappropriately, but in an innocent and endearing way as well. In this film, he definitely comes off as way more annoying, especially toward Terra, who clearly doesn't appreciate his frequent advances, but Beast Boy just can't seem to take a hint. No, you kind of want to set the kid down and have a talk with him. <laughs> I'll say that I didn't mind the voice performance for Beast Boy. I think his annoying nature was largely a result of the poor writing, specifically the poor dialogue. I think the dialogue within this film is the worst out of any DCAMU movie that I've seen. Really? Whoa. Yeah. Great story, bad dialogue, which made it sometimes cringe to watch. Yeah. Uh, I, and I agree about the bad writing. Like, the terror from the comics played along with his advances just to gain more intel on him, which made his heartbreak at her betrayal a little bit more relevant. And ultimately, for a film that seems so focused on relationships, I think the film's biggest mistake is not making us feel Beast Boy's loss as much as we should have. The Judas Contract was a harsh dose of reality and wake-up call for Beast Boy in the comics, even though he was cursed with green skin, he still lived in a mansion and took life with stride for the most part until this moment. And the writers could have really played up on that. I don't know. I mean, I never read the comics, but I think I pretty much got the gist of how devastated Beast Boy was at the loss of Terra, especially the end scene when he's holding her body. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you felt that heartbreak. I mean, she kissed him, you know, and it was real. We know that. So I think the loss there was pretty apparent. So I personally think that it's more heartbreaking if she's manipulating him, but I could see where you're coming from in that he would be just as heartbroken if he felt those feelings were real. So maybe I'm being too hard on the writers, but uh, that was just my impression having read the comic before seeing the movie. Moving on to Blue Beetle slash Jaime Reyes, he was voiced by Jake T. Austin. The character was a stand-in for Cyborg from the original story, since in the DCAMU, Cyborg was a member of the Justice League. And I think it's a smart choice to include Blue Beetle here. You know, he's a fairly popular teen techie kind of superhero. So he makes sense on this team as a replacement. 
One of the main conflicts Blue Beetle ran into in his early years was his lack of control over his scarab, and that's on full display in this film. Jaime occasionally can't control who his scarab tries to attack, which prevents him from being close with his family in this movie. In his desire to get involved more with his new community, he volunteers at a soup kitchen and begins a relationship with fellow teen volunteer Tracy 13, which is not so much a necessary character beat as a shout out to the Blue Beetle comics and one more excuse to throw a romantic relationship into the movie. By the end of the film, Jaime does reunite with his family, though we don't learn how or why he's able to do so. Yeah, that was a little strange. It kind of made the dad come across as petty because it's like, well, if it was this easy just to walk up to your son and hug him, why didn't you do that before? You know? Right. Now, did the DCAMU ever do any follow up with the Tracy 13 character? I don't believe so. No. I wonder why she was included here then. It could have literally been any character that he developed a relationship with. Well, because in the comics, he has a relationship, a romantic one with Tracy 13. So they probably just figured, why not her? She's a magic-based character, right? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. It would have been cool if they had her join the Titans at the end as Tara's replacement instead of Donna Troy. You know what? That's totally right. Because why bring in Wonder Girl if you hadn't referenced her before and you have a teen female superhero sitting right there in the movie already established? That would have been a great idea. Though I do love me some Donna Troy. She's awesome. She's a great character. That's definitely underutilized. This was actually the last Teen Titans movie that they made in this universe, even though they set up potential sequels with characters like Jericho and Wonder Girl. So maybe down the road they could have brought in Tracy 13, but I guess that opportunity is now lost. Where was Jericho in this movie? Oh, uh, Jericho was the guy that Brother Blood had in that machine that he tested on and he gained like the life force of the other people connected to it. And then Uh in the end credit scene, the guy who like, his bullet wound healed up and he opened his eyes. That's Jericho. I did not know there was an end credit scene to this movie. What? <laughs> I'm not sticking around through the credits. What are you Any talking about? Any superhero movie, you got to stick around for the credits. All right. Jericho is Deathstroke's son, right? That is correct. Hmm. Interesting. But uh, going back to Blue Beetle, I liked his action scenes the most. Like he's a bit more of a sleek and agile warrior than the tank-like cyborg. And his action scenes in the movie made me more excited to see him in battle in his live action movie scheduled to come out later this year. Get hyped. I guess. He was fine. Shut up. Moving on to Raven, she was voiced by Tasia Farmiga. Raven's role in this film is fairly minimal. She posed the greatest threat to Tara as an empath who can sense emotion. And though Raven was suspicious of Tara in the comics, Tara was also a lot more emotionally unstable while undercover in this film. So I feel like Raven should have been a bit more aware of what was going on. Given that she's a psychic, yeah. Yeah. They stated that Raven ethically wouldn't intrude on a teammate's mind, so I guess that's a good workaround story-wise, but it's still a little unbelievable, as I thought it was in the comics, to be fair, though. And the same goes for Tara bringing down Raven off-screen. Also, in my opinion, unbelievable. The same thing happened in the comics, with Nightwing visiting each of the Titans' homes and seeing the aftermath of what happened. I mean, Tara is powerful for sure, but I find it hard to believe that she brought down Raven so easily. It's implied in the comics that Raven thought Tara was simply training with her, so Raven held back. But I feel like a battle like that would have been great to see played out on screen. Yeah, it was kind of a cop out to not show Tara take down Raven, imprisoning her and taking her to Brother Blood. Regarding that scene, it did make me question how Nightwing all of a sudden knew that Tara was a traitor. Well, he had seen that Raven and Tara had battled each other. 
So it may have been just as likely that Raven was the traitor, given, of course, that she also has a demon in her head. Very true. But either way, I think tracking Tara's phone was a good way to find out that information. But he made a remark when he began tracking her phone that implied he knew Tara was the culprit. I think it largely has to do with maybe the fact that he knew Raven longer and because he was aware of Robin's suspicions of Tara. Maybe he realized in that moment that Robin's suspicions were probably more accurate than he realized. This seems more like a hunch at best and a plot hole at worst. I agree. You know, I don't disagree with that. But speaking of Robin, he was voiced by Stuart Allen. I've never cared for Allen's performance as the character in the DCAMU. Damien has always come across as sounding a bit younger to me in the comics, which is part of his comedic charm and that you have a young boy playing at being serious like Batman, right? Now, Damon was obviously not a member of the Teen Titans when this story came out in the comics, and I'm a little torn as to whether I think his inclusion here worked. You know, on one hand, his suspicious nature is a natural fit to help audiences learn about Tara's betrayal. But on the other hand, I feel like we learned too much too early. In the comics, the Titans learn everything too late, and Tara's betrayal has to be explained to Dick Grayson by Deathstroke's ex-wife. But as cool as it was to learn Deathstroke's origin from her in the same issue, you know, something we didn't see until Deathstroke's own terrific Knights and Dragons animated movie, I guess it was much cooler to have Robin learn everything instead. I just wish they had pushed that scene to later in the film. Specifically the scene where Tara and Deathstroke capture Robin and confirm her betrayal. Because the simultaneous takedown of all the Titans members in the comics was a lot more interesting and in a way satisfying. I think this movie revealed its hand in several areas a little bit too soon, which prevented what would have been otherwise fantastic surprises, such as Nightwing's survival of Deathstroke's attack. We learn right away that he had used the cutting board as a shield to stop the bullet and that he was fine. And so basically we were just waiting for him to show up in the film's climax. Whereas if we thought he died in that scene and then he shows up later on in the disguise during the brother blood ceremony and reveals just in like a quick three second flashback how he lived, I think that would have been much more fist pump worthy. Yeah, probably. I don't know if you could have done it in three seconds. The flashback might have had to be a little bit longer than that, but I think that would have been cool too. Yeah. Five seconds. Gunshot, seeing the cutting board, seeing him swim out of the dock. Nightwing, how did you find us? And he's like, I tracked Tara's phone. Boom. There you go. You Actually, yeah. yeah, that totally would have worked. Good yeah. job. Uh, going back to Damien, I understand that he's popular, but one of the reasons I didn't think he was needed on this team was that his capture by Brother Blood didn't make sense since Damien didn't have powers. You know, in the comics, Wonder Girl was captured by Hive instead. And, you know, I'm a fan of Donna Troy, so I actually would have loved to see her inclusion in this film over Damien's. Well, Damien didn't have powers, but Brother Blood still probably absorbed his fighting ability. Well, that's true. But then again, why would Brother Blood have included both Nightwing and Damien in the initial contract? Because I imagine both of them are pretty darn good fighters. So one of them would have been redundant. That's valid. Maybe he would have gained double the fighting ability. I don't know how this stuff works. <laughs> Uh, moving on to Deathstroke, he was voiced by Miguel Ferrer, who sadly died after voicing this role from heart failure and throat cancer, which you would have never known listening to his voice performance, which I thought was solid. Oh, yeah, he was a great Deathstroke, for sure. Now in the DC AMU, Deathstroke debuted in the film Son of Batman as a member of the League of Assassins. Defeated by Damien in that film, it was nice to see the two face off once again here. 
Deathstroke's whole vendetta with the Teen Titans stems from Damien's involvement, though he's also contracted by Brother Blood with capturing the team, which he's able to do with the help of Terra's infiltration. This adaptation of the Judas Contract storyline is less impactful for the character of Deathstroke, since here we didn't learn his origin like we did in the comics, but that kind of makes sense since his son Jericho wasn't a part of this story, necessarily. As I mentioned, Jericho makes brief cameos in the movie, but he's never named, and it's never made clear that he's Deathstroke's son. In the comic, Deathstroke never betrays Terra willingly, and is instead possessed by Jericho into attacking Terra, which is Jericho's power. In this film, Deathstroke gives Terra up to Brother Blood at the drop of a hat, and she learns that he never had any desire for her beyond her helping him fulfill his contract to bring down the Titans. And I thought that was a great update to the source material, particularly for a storyline based around betrayal. Yeah, I like this version better, actually, what was in this film. The fact that he had her as a contingency if he needed it, I thought was a great surprise. It also makes Deathstroke come across as less pervy because like he wasn't saving her for like after the Titans defeat or anything like that. Yeah. And he comes across as more malicious and a better villain. Finally, let's talk about Brother Blood. He was voiced by Greg Henry. His inclusion in this story is somewhat shoehorned since he wasn't in the comics. And as far as I'm aware, has never been a leader of Hive. I just think the film needed a big superpowered bad guy to fight at the end, and Brother Blood, as a cult leader, kind of fit the bill for someone who would have the resources to pull off the film's villainous plot. I liked that final fight, and I liked how ruthless they made Brother Blood in the movie, like bathing in the blood of the journalist who made him look bad. I didn't care though for how Mother Mayhem just shot him in the head at the end though. <laughs> yeah, like, that was shocking in not a good way. Yeah, I don't know if that's from the comics. It may be. I'm not sure. But I thought it was a little anticlimactic for the movie. She was just a little bit trigger happy in general. Yeah, totally. Let's move on to the story highlights. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The film begins with a flashback to five years prior, where the original Teen Titans, Dick Grayson, Speedy, Kid Flash, Beast Boy, and Bumblebee, rescue Princess Starfire of Planet Tamarin from her captors sent by her evil older sister, Blackfire, who had staged a coup and forcibly taken the throne. As she is no longer able to return to her world, the Titans offer her a home on Earth, and she begins a romantic relationship with Dick Grayson. This scene sucked. It was a horrible intro. I think <laughs> I have a lot of issues with it, largely being how it really tied into the main themes of the movie, which it didn't really. Right. But I have questions. Like, why were the Teen Titans riding on the Young Justice cycle? I think just to show that Robin was the leader and like it was his car, his rules, his team, his rules kind of thing. 
which actually kind of doesn't make sense with the timeline of the DC AMU in that the first film, or I guess I should say second film, Justice League War, kind of sets up the fact that this is the first time superheroes are kind of teaming up and making an appearance. But if that was the case, that means that like the Teen Titans were actually this universe's first team. Oh, that's fascinating. That's interesting. How embarrassing would it be to have a code name like Speedy on a team with the Flash? Oh, Kid Flash? Yeah. I guess that's why Roy Harper changed his name to Arsenal, but still. Well, now he's Red Arrow in the comics, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I agree. Arsenal is much better than Speedy. What kind of arrow did he shoot into the wormhole to just magically vacuum everything up and close it? The fuck was that about? Oh, you don't think he has wormhole closing arrows? (laughs) You don't know Speedy. (laughs) I was calling bullshit on that hardcore. (laughs) There was just like a lot of weird things and horrible dialogue throughout this whole intro that made me kind of like dread watching the rest of the film. Oh, I mean, I was watching this like, how does this tie into the Judas contract? What is going on? I don't know. It was all to set up Starfire and her relationship with Dick Grayson. Which was peripheral to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, in the present, Dick Grayson, now known as Nightwing, rejoins the Teen Titans to track down a dangerous cult led by Brother Blood, who is also in control of the terrorist organization Hive. They bring down a Hive secret base, though its overseer, Mother Mayhem, escapes beforehand thanks to a tip from Deathstroke. While the Titans are sorting through the information they gathered at the Hive base, we learn that Brother Blood has hired Deathstroke and has built a device that transfers the life force of others into a single being. Terra's struggles with her traumatic past and explosive displays of uncontrolled power make Robin suspicious, and he follows Terra as she leaves the tower one night only to discover she's working with Deathstroke and is trapped by the two. We learn that Terra's been spying on the Teen Titans for Deathstroke and see her struggle with guilt as the team attempts to help her cope with her struggles, particularly Beast Boy, who has romantic feelings for Terra. Now, you skipped over the party scene, the birthday party scene with Tara. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's them trying to help her cope with her trauma. It was an interesting little montage uh, with the music and like the dancing. I I honestly thought that all of the photos that Beast Boy was taking was going to lead to something like, oh, he notices a contact in her eye in one of the photos. And that's how they deduced that Tara was the betrayer. That would have to be a high resolution camera to notice a contact in someone's eye. He was taking pretty up-close selfies there. (laughs) All right. But yeah, the whole social media angle on Beast Boy's behalf had no real purpose to the story, other than, I guess, to make him a celebrity and get an interview at the end with Kevin Smith. Right. Yeah. The whole thing was based around a Kevin Smith cameo. When the team uses the information they gathered from the Hive base to track down one of the organization's top scientists, Deathstroke kills that scientist remotely with a drone. The next day, Deathstroke and Terra bring down each of the Titans individually, except for Nightwing, whom Deathstroke mistakenly believed he had killed. After finding each of the Titans missing, Nightwing tracks Terra's phone after seeing the aftermath of her battle with Raven. With the Titans captured in Brother Blood's life force straining machine, Brother Blood accuses Deathstroke of failing to fulfill his contract by not obtaining Nightwing's body. After Deathstroke betrays Terra by offering her in Nightwing's place, Brother Blood activates his machine and absorbs the Titan's powers, though Nightwing destroys the machine before the Titans die in the process. An all-out brawl commences, with Terra focusing on destroying Deathstroke for betraying her. The fight with the team against Brother Blood, who had all their powers, was pretty badass. Yeah, I think it was a lot more interesting than just seeing the Teen Titans go up against Terra and Deathstroke, and I'm glad they included it in the film. 
After Brother Blood is defeated, Terra, in her grief, attempts to destroy everyone by collapsing the underground base, killing only herself in the process. And actually, I think that was the best part of the movie. That shot where we see the look on her face as everything's coming down around her, accepting that this is the only possible outcome despite the feelings that she had developed for the Teen Titans, I thought was pretty powerful. And it kind of saves the film, to be honest. This like last 10 minutes, I think, were fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. Christina Ricci's voice performance, especially in that moment, just her scream, like you feel the emotion in it. The whole ending was really well done. In the aftermath, Beast Boy explains to Kevin Smith on a podcast how much the Titans and Terra mean to him. In a post credit scene, it's shown that Jericho survived a bullet from Mother Mayhem after going through Brother Blood's machine, though that never leads to anything. I think the end shot of Teen Titans with that group photo of the team with Terra in the middle. Yeah, it was a bittersweet statement. Yeah, absolutely. And it just served to highlight how much they cared for Terra and considered her a member of that team. Which, you know, is the whole kind of central focus of this film. Relationships and team and family. They thought of Terra as their family, which is a strong theme for this film, which at the end of the day has a lot going for it. You know, strong themes, mostly great action. I just love the characters. It's a damn good story, if not the best written. And I would say it's a serviceable adaptation of the comic storyline, one of the most popular in comics history. Ultimately, though, it's really hard to walk away feeling anything other than disappointment. And honestly, that may just be me having known the story from the comics. But when all is said and done, I give this film three stars. Middle of the road rating, because I think there was just as much negative about it as there was positive. Yeah, I agree with three stars. It's a mixed bag. You know, it's a great story, but it deserved a better adaptation with better writing. For sure. Uh, that does it for this review. Really want to know what you guys thought about the movie. Please write to us at dynamicdualpodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website dynamicduel.com. And on our site, you can also find a link to not only our Patreon page, but our brand new Dynamic Duel store, both of which are ways to support our show, as is signing up for our email newsletter, which you can do on our website. If you sign up for our newsletter and confirm your email, you'll be sent to a link where you could download the visual data from our most recent Duel episode. Our next episode is going to be a tie-in duel to this movie, Teen Titans, The Judas Contract. We're going to find out who would win in a fight between the geokinetic character Terra versus Avalanche, who is a member of the Brotherhood of Mutants who can control seismic vibrations. Should be a good match. Can't wait for that one. But that does it for this episode, guys. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Balcom, Mickey Matangian, Brandon Estergaard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yaton, Nick Abanto, Austin Wisolowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, and Gil Camacho for helping make this podcast possible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away, true believers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.